Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, this is Gilbert, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast, his verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host... Stu Palmer! It's episode 49, we are back local. We've been across the pond for weeks now, but we are back to North Wales. And it's the former founder, owner of Britannia Wrestling Promotions, Mr. Steve Saxon. Prior to being a promoter, Steve was a wrestler. He was a wrestler for many years and he was trained by the great Welshman himself, El Bandito Oreg Williams. A real in-depth look into promoting, booking, cost. I asked him quite a lot of stuff, so we get a real in-depth interview with Mr. Saxon. Steve founded it in 2008, before the surge on the British scene. There's so many promotions now in Britain per mile, per square mile, whatever you want to look at it. He was doing it before it was the in thing. Business was a lot different back then, so you could hear about that. The stars he brought over, Jay Lethal, El Generico, we know him as Sami Zayn, Robbie E., so many, so many that he brought over, and the influx of local talent. There was a big ethos to have the local talent. It wasn't just about booking names all the time, name people from the States worldwide. I wanted to get Steve on for a long, long time. It was great to get it done. So without further ado, I'll stop rambling. It's episode 49, Stu Dressing Podcast, with the former owner, promoter, founder of Britannia Wrestling Promotions, BWP, Mr. Steve Saxon. Enjoy, Team UK. Right, it's my honour and what a privilege to have Mr. Steve Saxon, former promoter owner of BWP, Britannia Wrestling Promotions, ambassador for PWI, which is Pro Wrestling International, and the host of the ISAX podcast, wrestling podcast, might I add. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good, Stu. Good to finally be on. Absolutely, it's a pleasure, as I said, 
absolute pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you sparing the time. I know you're a busy man. And uh, I think first things first, just going into something current, how has lockdown been for you? Uh, busy. Uh, we've not, not, not a lot changed for me personally. Um, obviously, outside of the wrestling industry, um, I run my own pub in Penneford, North Wales, the Red Lion. Um, over lockdown, we spent the entire the duration of lockdown doing home deliveries uh, for the vulnerable, those that are isolating, uh, and for the NHS as well. Um, so we were actually, ironically, we were uh, busier than ever during lockdown. And then since we've reopened after lockdown, the, the, the business has been absolutely crazy here in North Wales. It's great to see the sense of the community with the pub as well. Obviously, I see what you post. Uh, it's nice. It's, it's really nice to see, mate, honestly, and how you've been helping people out through, through this tough time. There's no, I've lived, I'm nearly 40 years old and uh, I've lived all over the place uh, throughout my lifetime and I've never ever experienced a community like the Penneford community. Uh, I've been living here now for 10 or just over 10 years um, and the, the, the community spirit in this area is absolutely amazing, especially in times of need, you know, when, when somebody locally in need, uh, especially during the lock, uh, lockdown um, era, um, the way that the community came out to help each other out was absolutely amazing. It's a testament to you and the staff, mate. Honest, honestly, I am catering myself, so I understand. You know, what, what you know, it's a big, it's a tall order sometimes, isn't it? What we do, but uh, yeah, lovely. It's absolutely, really, it's, it's, yeah, really lovely. Right, I'm going to get on to wrestling now, Sax. When did okay. you first start watching pro wrestling? I always lead with this one. This is always my first <clears throat> question. Um, I don't recall a stage in my life where I didn't watch wrestling. Uh, my parents were avid. Uh, world of Sport fans, ITV, um, uh, Channel 3, uh, Saturday afternoon, religiously every week, they'd rush home from the pub at 3 o'clock, a chippy dinner on a Saturday, and then we'd sit in front of the TV and watch the likes of Big Daddy, Haystacks, Cat Weasel. Um, and then but my, my first real memory of really embracing wrestling was uh, when I was four years old, uh, randomly flicking through the four TV channels that we had back in the 80s um, and coming across uh, this... Something that was familiar but different. I knew it was a wrestling show, but it looked nothing like anything I'd seen before. And it turned out to be I was watching for the first time um, the Immortal Hulk Hogan on WWF programming. And from that day, religiously, every week without fail, um, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked on the, the world of wrestling. But no actual first memory as such. I just remember that wrestling was always around me. Uh, as with everybody, most people, most families in the 80s, Saturday afternoon was the, the prime time slot and it's what nearly every family in Britain used to tune into and my family was no different. Obviously, you've listed some guys there. Which, which wrestlers captivated you? Uh, I'd say you'd be... Same as... And it's probably no different these days. It's, you know, the person that's in the limelight the most, which back then was uh, Big Daddy. Easily Big Daddy. Um, this big, burly bloke... You kind of reminded me a little bit of my old man as well, in, in, you know, in physical stature, uh, with the big top hat and the white leotard and the big Union Jack cape. And uh, I mean, back then I thought it was amazing. And obviously, you know, in hindsight, you watch these, these, some of these clips back on YouTube and wrestling was a completely different world back then. But yeah, but I, as a kid, I loved Big Daddy. But I think every, every kid in Britain loved Big Daddy. Did any, any matches stand out for you to this, to this day, you know, going back to then? Any matches that you could watch now and that they still hold up today? Maybe that was something I like to Yeah, watch. yeah. I mean, these will be matches that I've watched since, uh, not necessarily matches that I remember from, from actually being a kid. Uh, Johnny Saints, 
Uh, obviously, I've got to work with Johnny a number of times uh, over recent years. And when I was coming up through the ranks, Johnny was always about um, uh, the, the shows that I, that I trained at, uh, Oreg Williams. Um, but I can quite easily, and I, I have done on numerous occasions, gone back and watched Johnny Saint matches. And um, he was well ahead of his time, Saint he? Uh, and he can still go now to this day. I mean, he's, I don't know, I wouldn't like to hazard too much of a guess, but he's got to be somewhere in the region of 70 years old, probably a little bit more. Um, and I've seen him go. Um, and he's still got it, even at this age, because he keeps himself in proper good shape. He's proper trim. Uh, he's agile. His mind's still completely there. Um, so, yeah, from a kid, I remember seeing Sainty since growing up and the YouTube coming out and I've been able to watch Sainty again. It was also uh, an honour to actually meet, train with and work with uh, Sainty over the years as well. He's local to us, isn't he, Johnny Saint? He is, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he actually lives in real. He lives in real. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's cool. I think a lot of the, a lot of the uh, old school uh, wrestlers uh, have either lived in or temporarily resided in real um, because after ITV World of Sport finished, uh, my the guy that trained me and um, promoted me, uh, El, uh, El Bandito Oric Williams, uh, he had his Welsh TV show uh, called Wrestler, which was on S4C. Absolutely, remember uh, it well. So he kind of he took all those people that had, um, were dropped by ITV World Sports, and he, he brought them, a lot of them over to North Wales, uh, the likes of uh, William Regal, Fit Finlay, uh, Sainty, obviously. Uh, Giant Haystacks lived in real for a while in one of Oric's properties um, after the days of ITV. Uh, World of Sport, um, Haystacks was one of Oreg's um, rent collectors or debt collectors, one, one of the two, um, as well as obviously wrestling on his Walsh TV show as well. So you'd be amazed the amount of wrestlers that have come through North Wales, particularly real over the years. Got, got a bit of history along the coast, haven't we, to be fair? In all, in all, in all, fairness, in all fairness, I'll tell you, we're on the map, like, absolutely. Did any pay-per-view stand out for you, Sax? I'm obviously going to say WWF, WWE. Did you like a particular pay-per-view event that was put on, or did it not bother you as such? As a child? Yeah, yeah as a child, I think. Yeah, going yeah, back a bit. I mean, as a child, I think the main ones, as with everybody, uh, were... Where your WrestleMania, your SummerSlam, your Rumble, your Survivor Series, they were the four only pay-per-views. Uh, but one of my earliest memories of, a, of an actual pay-per-view, I think, was uh, SummerSlam 91, um, where you had Bret Hart against Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title. Uh, the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth got married. Uh, Hogan and the Warrior faced off against the um, Triangle of Terror, I think they were called, Slaughter, Adnan and Mustafa, with Sid Justice making his first WWE appearance as a special guest referee. Um, it was, I, I don't know, I've, I've watched that show back so many times, especially as a kid, uh, when you didn't have a lot of choice, you literally just watch the same video cassette over and over again. But even as an adult, I've gone back and rewatched that entire show, watched certain matches or certain segments from that show. I also remember the, the segment with uh, the big boss man, or the match with the big boss man in the Mountie, uh, the um, prison match, where the loser went to prison for the night. So they had the match early on, and then for the rest of the night, they kept on cutting back, which is quite new for that for that uh, time of night, night one, the early night is to have a segment that was continuously rolling throughout the entire show until that moment where you actually see the Mountie being locked up in prison. Um, so for me, that was one of my all-time favourite pay-per-views as, as a child. Cool, man, that's cool. I, um, I'm going to get to you now. What triggered you to begin starting training? You've obviously touched upon Oreg. I mean, no, obviously I know from research and what you sent me, Oreg trained you. How did that come to fruition, the training and starting your training? Uh, complete luck. Uh, I moved from, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. Um, I moved to North Wales when I was 15 years old. 
and from holidaying in North Wales over the summer uh, summer seasons as a child, I knew that there was a wrestling show in Rill, but that's all that I knew. Um, so literally one of the first things I did when I moved to Wales is I wrote a handwritten letter uh, saying that it was my lifelong dream, I want to become a wrestler, and I addressed the letter, put a stamp on it, I addressed the letter to the wrestling show, Rill, and, and literally that was it. Uh, put it in the post, thought nothing more of it. And then a few weeks later, uh, when I was coming back from my part-time job at the time, my mum greeted me at the door with uh, a bit of paper in hand with a number on saying, the Wrestling Federation's phoned you. You need to phone her back straight away. And obviously she thought she meant the World Wrestling Federation, which, <laughs> which it was. Uh, and I, I phoned up the number and Ollie Williams answered and uh, gave him my name. And he said, ah, right, okay. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but I get dozens of these letters every single week, and they always go in the bin, but yours stood out to me. Uh, and they invited me along there to the real summer season that started in July. And I went, walked up onto the first floor of the uh, real town hall, saw this wrestling ring for the first time, got told to jump straight into the wrestling ring, which was an amazing feeling for the first time as a 16-year-old kid. Uh, and then I got and then uh, a bloke, one of Oryx's uh, star attractions of the 80s and early 90s, uh, Boston Blackie, uh, hell of a man, hell of a man, hell of a worker. Um, he started just showing me the ropes, a um, little bit of rough and tumble as it was back then. Um, and from and then later that, that, later that night, they asked me what gear I had, and I think at the time combat pants were in fashion. You know, combat pants and a pair of uh, uh, know, Timberland boots or something like that. They wouldn't have been Tim, Timberland, not back then. I couldn't score that back then. Uh, but, <laughs> and he said, right, whip your top off. You're in the Battle Royal tonight. So my first experience of wrestling was being trained for the best part of an hour, sitting around watching the show and then being thrown in the, uh, I don't know, probably a 16, 17-man battle royal at the end of the night. And amazing, oh. amazing. And the best way, the best way. I, mean, I know these days things have changed, and for, you know, for obvious reasons, things have changed when it comes to training schools. But for me back then, that was definitely the best way. It was the, the last of the old guard. Uh, I was a rookie 16-year-old kid. And the best way to train these uh, rookies was just literally throw them into the deep end. And fortunately for me, uh, I was asked back the following week. Cool, that's cool. Who, who were you tearing it up with during that time in the early stages? Um, a lot of uh, random names. Boston Blackie was the, was the main guy. Um, you had guys like Gally Beware, who's from Prestatin. Uh, you had guys like Frankie Sloan. Uh, Frankie Sloan and I had a bit of a, we had quite a few matches, so he was uh, probably the closest to my age uh, at that time. Uh, he'd done bits of World of Sport and what have you, you know, towards the tail end of it. Uh, he was very well thought of by the, the hierarchy and the, the, the old guard. Um, we actually, this was during this, during this stage of doing, um, British wrestling had dried up, World of Sport had dried up, there were a lot of bitter um, old school wrestlers that were still on the scene. Uh, the money wasn't as good as it used to be for obvious reasons because they weren't on TV. WWE had come in, they'd taken over, they monopolised the system. Um, and it was ironic that those people that blamed WWE for changing the system and for kind of begin breaking kayfabe at that stage, uh, we as workers could only make our money by doing WWF tribute shows, um, which is exactly what it says in the tin, no different than the, uh, an ABBA tribute band we would go out there dressed as your favourite WWF superstars. And at the time, uh, I was uh, Jeff Hardy. The Hardy Boys were very, very popular at the time, uh, Team 2 Extreme. And I was teamed up, so I was Jeff Hardy and Frankie was Matt Hardy. So we did that gimmick for a, on and off for about two, maybe three years. So I got to work with Frankie a hell of a lot. 
Great, uh, great talent as well. Incredible, incredible. Big, yeah, day. yeah, I can still go. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. How did the business differ back then, uh, as you know, as it pertains to being a wrestler to how it is now? What, what was, yeah, how was the business back then, basically? Yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah, I, I was one of the f- final few young ones, if you like, which I was back then. I was 16, 17 years old. Uh, that was allowed to enter uh, the, the locker room and the business at, the, at that stage where it was run by the old guard who were very protective because they had world sport uh, TV contracts pulled from underneath the feet. Uh, the WWE had been non-monopolising and changing the system completely, uh, breaking kayfabe to an extent, which was unheard of before then. So they were very protective. So I was honoured. And, and I was very, very lucky as well that uh, Oreg kind of took me under his wing. And Oreg is one of, or was one of the most respected wrestlers and promoters and personalities in British wrestling ever. Um, and because he took me under his wing, it made my life a little bit easier. I didn't get ripped as much by the boys. And uh, they kind of, they, they trained me rather than trying to hurt me, uh, which did go on quite a lot back then. You know, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot more physical back then. Uh, there were a lot more rece- receipts uh, given back then for very minor reasons. But I kind of, I, I got my fair share, but I kind of bypassed that. Uh, but I think also saw that was a grafter. I was hard work. I was always the first one at the show to put the ring up, which was a bastard of a job, especially at a real town hall. Um, I'd work. I'd do a match. Sometimes I did two matches. I did the rumble at the end, and then I did the last one to leave after I'd taken the the ring down. Um, and I was paid five pound for that honour as well, um, which I was told back then that I was lucky to get anyway. Um, but regardless, if I was paid or not. I still would have been there every single week. First one there, last one to leave, without a doubt. But the business was—it was, like I said, it was completely different in terms that they were very protective. Um, the business wasn't as open back then as it is now. There was no internet. Uh, there was no social media. Um, even to the point now, as, as you mentioned before, at the beginning of the show, I used to run Britannia Wrestling Promotions, and I did so for nearly thirteen years. Um, whereas now we will have a private Facebook page or a WhatsApp group uh, set up where we will put the show bills. Uh, the running order for the show is in advance so the talent can get their heads around it and they know what's going to be promoted online uh, before the actual show. But then you would literally turn up, you could turn up at 20 past seven with the show starting at half past seven and already sit there with a little slip of paper and go, right, who's here? Right, Saxon, you're on with Boston Blackie, you're on first. You've got five minutes to get ready, work out yourself, Blackie's going over. And you'd have five minutes to work out your match, whereas these days you get a lot longer, you're getting at least, at least a week, usually months, to actually see where your storylines are going, you know what matches you're going to be involved in. Uh, storylines, nothing. There were never storylines back then. They were literally show by show, which a lot of people still operate like that now as well, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, but it was quite refreshing to step from Oryx's world of uh, wrestling promoting into my own world of wrestling promoting. Uh, when I started BWP in 2008, one of the things I thought, said I was going to focus on was uh, storytelling. Uh, and as the years went on, that became one of our strongest points of Britannia Wrestling Promotions was the storytelling that we did, uh, the characters that we built, and the wrestlers that we helped to develop. You know, they're definitely the three strong attributes of Britannia Wrestling Promotions, which did stem from my experience with Oric Williams, but I wanted to do a little bit more, I wanted to modernise uh, British wrestling shows, and I think over time, and I'm not, certainly not saying it was down to me, all Britannia Wrestling Promotions, we just kind of followed the same curve, but everybody, all the new promotions were kind of doing the same thing where they wanted to change certain things. They wanted to change the sort of characters they booked compared to the old school. They wanted to not just be a show-by-show, match-by-match uh, promotion. They wanted to be a, 
uh, a promotion that sold uh, tickets on selling stories. Um, and look, look where we are now. Look how amazingly massive the British wrestling scene is now as a result of that. It's it's incredible. It's it's absolutely crazy. We're so these young lads coming through now are so lucky. So many places to work. Just exploded, didn't it? But going back to BWP, Steve, how hard was it initially setting setting the promotion up? What challenges did you face in the a early? Lot, a lot, a lot of challenges. It was always scoffed upon um, for anybody to dare uh, step away from. The, the wrestling promotions they started with in order to set up their own wrestling promotion. Uh, now, I did it naively, but I think in hindsight, it was probably still the best decision I made. But naively at the time, I thought, I'm going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And I'm going to run a, a one-off show uh, that somebody offered. Somebody, somebody approached me about running the show in a local community hall in Flandernog in North Wales, tiny little community. And it was a maximum capacity of 156 people. Uh, so I thought, there's no, there's no great time. So I got myself a hide a ring from uh, Texas Joe Savoldi. Uh, and I did it very subtly, very quietly. On the assumption it was only going to be a one-off show. And I enjoyed it that much. Uh, that I decided it was going to be, I'll do another one. Enjoyed that, i do another one. And then started the phone calls, um, the threats. Um, Oric and I did have words. Uh, he actually, unlike others that decided to phone me or probably MSM message me at the time, uh, Oric actually came and met me outside my workplace at the time in Rutland. Um He parked up and I sat in his car and he under he was straight to the point that I had shit on him uh, on our friendship, I suppose, an element of friendship. Um, and I was, I was basically unprofessional. And you know what? In hindsight, I completely agree. I was. I, uh, what a man would have done was gone and spoke to Rory, told him of my intentions, and gone and done it. He would have shot me down straight away and said no. And then it would have been ultimately my decision to go, well, I'm going to do it anyway, or am I not? Uh, otherwise, we may not be sat here and be having this conversation right now if I'd gone that route. Um, so, but naively, because of my age at the time, I was, what, 20 four, 25 years old when I did my first show. Um, but when he found out, yeah, he wasn't best pleased. But then when we sat there, we sat there for an hour or so in his car with his wife, uh, Wendy. Um, and I put my side across why I wanted to promote. And I could see that for an old school hard man, and he was a very, very hard man, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, he, I think he started to see and sense that, other than that this kid's, he's got good intentions and he's doing it for the right reasons. And so we came to an, an, an agreement that I would run shows uh, east of Wrexham, basically Wrexham into the English code, into the English border. Uh, and I would not step on his toes anywhere in North or Mid Wales. And I was happy with that. I thought it was a fair compromise. Uh, and his final words to me was, um, you know my name, so you know my number, you know where I am. If you ever need anything, you call me. And then he shook my hand. And that was the last time that I saw or spoke to Rory Williams, unfortunately, because he passed away uh, less than 12 months later. Um, but yeah, but that, was, that was just the Rory stage. I've also had a lot of shit, which I've, I've never really spoke about before, Stu. It's kind of an exclusive for you. Uh, but something that, uh, as I do uh, get back into the world of podcasting, that's something I'm going to elaborate on a little bit more, uh, is all star wrestling that were. Terrible, unprofessional, horrible, nasty bastards when it came to a young, 
upstart wrestling promoter who had worked up in the industry for eight years, I suppose, ten years at that time, thereabouts. And I did no different than what Brian Dixon himself did. Now, I, this is a story that's out there in the public domain, but Brian Dixon started his career as a referee for Oric Williams over in Wales. Oric's main draw at the time, which is, again, he, he was ahead of his time sometimes, Oric was, and with female wrestling, he was really ahead of his time. Women like Klondike Kate uh, and Mitzi, Mitzi Muller, uh, the, the, the wife of Brian Dixon, was Oric's main attraction. And Mitzi and Brian, the story has it, and I believe I've read this in Oric Williams' book as well, I, I believe, um, they started seeing each other. And then, for whatever reason, Brian decided, after a period of time of working for Oric shows and learning the ropes, that he wanted to start up his own wrestling promotion. And he went and he did that, you know, big-time wrestling, all-star wrestling, Super Slam, whatever it was branded at the time, but 50 years ago now. Um, and he and Oric fell out. Um, they had words, they fell out. Oric believed that Brian was being unprofessional and shitting on the shoes of Oric. And by not only starting his own promotion, but by naturally, because his partner, Mitzi, was going to be appearing on Brian's shows as well as Oric's. Uh, and I believe she did. I believe she went both shows. She didn't pick a side, but Oric and Brian had fallen out. But they, they fell out for a number of years. Uh, but when they eventually saw sense and saw, well, this is just the, the natural progression of anybody in the business. They want to further develop and advance their, themselves. Um, they, and they became friends again. And they started working together. And a lot of my shows I worked on were a collaboration between Oric and, and Brian Dixon. Uh, and they were good shows. Uh, but my point being that the Brian to experience what I was going through with Oric Williams, and particularly with Oric Williams. And then I was getting the phone calls from a member of his family, should we say, uh, basically throwing every threat at me that they possibly can to try and stop me from running shows. And back then, I was an impressionable, impressionable, naive kid. I was a kid. And I used to take it. I carried on running shows, but there's a part of me that was a little bit fearful, I suppose. I suppose that's the word. I was fearful that my, my lifelong dream was going to be pulled from underneath my feet by the person who did exactly the same as me 40 years prior with exactly the same person. And they got over it. And they got over it, became close friends. And I'd like to think that if Ori could was still around now, that he would have been not involved in my shows, not involved in Britannia shows, but would have at least come and would have enjoyed what he actually saw. Uh, but unfortunately, I'll never get the opportunity to, to, to know if that's true or not. But I'd like to think that. But yeah, so in the early days, I got quite a lot of ease. I did. But I just, I don't know why, because I was impressionable. I was naive. I was weak to some extent. Um, but I carried on plowing through. And I think that's what's helped me to, to be the person that I am today. I'm a lot stronger, more confident person. Uh, I think that's part of getting older as well, Stu, I think. You kind of lose. <laughs> you get older, which isn't always about. Sometimes, no, no. always. Stand, stood your ground, sacks, by the sounds of it. I, I did without realising, I think, at the time. Yeah. It didn't stand my ground, but obviously, well, Britannia's still going, you know. With or without me, Britannia's still going. What's your um, relationship like with Brian Dixon in the present that's what I was going to ask. I'd do it chronologically, but I'll just come, because we were speaking about uh, Brian Dixon. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I don't have a relationship with Brian Dixon. Right, okay. Uh, no, with, I get, I've always got on well with his son-in-law, Dean. Uh, Dean, Mark, and I, uh, we shared a, many, many, many locker rooms and tours of Ireland and what have you for Oric Williams. And we've, I think we've literally travelled, we've been in every country in the, UK, in the UK together. We've certainly wrestled in Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales. Uh, and I've had a great relationship with him, working relationship. Uh, and we, you know, we, we 
we are Facebook friends. We're Facebook friends. Um, we interact with likes and comments here and there, but that's the extent of it. But Brian Dixon, I, I have no um, no relationship with at all. Further down the line, I would like to think as now that I'm hitting a certain age and I've been in the business for uh, such time, it's twenty, almost coming up to twenty five years nearly. Um, I think I'm getting to that age where the these uh, wrestlers reunion. Uh, days, I think I'm going to start going to them at some point, uh, just to see some old faces, and then I hope that our paths do cross. I hope that we can be respectful, professional, but also very honest towards each other, and, and who knows where the relationship may go from there, but at this moment in time, as it has always been, the only communication I had with All Stars when those first four to five years, pretty much the same time every year, leading up to the summer season, um, but they were not a pleasant experience at all. Until that, the last phone call where I did start standing up for myself uh, and told them that I was going to be running shows regardless, uh, that was the end of the phone calls and that was the last communication I ever had with All Star Wrestling. What threats were made, if you can go into them? You said about threats yeah. earlier. In the... Open book, completely open book. Yeah, just I thought uh, that's, I'd like to know now. <laughs> there, there were threats of sending certain talent to our shows to disrupt uh, we were always accused of ripping their posters down because they used to run, only in the summer season, uh, Real Town Hall after Oric Williams passed away. Uh, we ran Pristatin uh, pretty much every other week, at worst, once a month, but we did that 12 months of the year and we did it for a number of years. We were the local promotion. Their promotion had been there for longer, just for short spells. Two completely different towns, several miles apart, complete different catchment of uh, clientele we focused on the the locals and sometimes you get some of the tourists in they targeted solely the the tourists that were going to real uh they would we our, our posters would cross paths but i i can i can honestly say this hand on heart on all of my children's lives as i used to tell them every single year during the phone calls i have never instructed anybody nor asked anybody nor told anybody to take down or cover up an all-stars poster or any wrestling promotions poster why I've said is that if they've got a poster here on the billboard advertising Tuesday nights on real, there's nothing wrong with putting a Britannia one next to it advertising Saturday nights in Prestine. Two good quality shows, miles apart, but still local. Why can't people enjoy both? That was always my impression, still is to this day. Collaboration is, is the key. I've always said that. Collaboration is this industry to move forward. Um, so we were always accused of ripping their posters down which would always generate the phone calls, which would be, we're going to send people around to the shows. Uh, we hope that your, your books are in order. We hope you're above board. We believe you haven't got insurance. And everything they were saying, why just let me say? Uh, one, out of respect, I didn't want to answer back too much, but I knew that I was completely covered. We were full and legit and above board. Of course we had uh, the, the relevance insurances. And I knew, even if nobody else knew, I knew that I was never taking other posters down. So, yeah, we were threatened from everything from physically to legally to HMRC. We were threatened. Everything was thrown at us. They possibly could. And I think it got to the point, like I said before, where because I did start standing up for myself during these phone calls and they could see that Saxon's carrying on these shows. So as the uh, real town hall uh, numbers were dwindling and the Britannia numbers were increasing, um, I can understand their frustration, but maybe that's a sentiment to, while well, our show was more relatable to the North Wales audience, they wanted to see the younger stars coming through that were starting off with rookies and they were watching and witnessing the developmental and growth of these, these uh, young guys. But also going back to the, we were doing the storylines, 
we were doing shows on a regular two, three or four week basis all year round. Uh, from July through till uh, the end of August, we were doing a show every Saturday night at Prestatton as well as shows all around the, uh, the North Wales coast. Uh, we were literally everywhere. Um, so I, can, I, I do fully understand and appreciate their frustration, but there's no need to go down the route. Why not look at, well, maybe we can, we can do something with Britannia rather than trying to fight us, uh, which inevitably turns out that we're still running Prestatton North Wales and All Stars, not so much in real. Maybe things could have been different to be a bit more open towards progressing and modernising their side of the business along with ours. But who knows? Who knows? I'm going to go back to BWP now, and obviously from its inception, was it a big was it a big cost to yourself getting it started up? The promotion, I'd like to know from a promoter's standpoint. You know, pick pick your brains about that a little bit because I wouldn't know. I'm just a fan, aren't I? So yeah, just starting up BWP in terms of cost was it tough yeah, initially? Yeah. I mean, you got the um, you got the the your cost of. I, mean, I didn't I didn't own a ring back then. I hired a ring, and um, I did that for a number of shows before a good friend of mine, who's a, an old wrestler, uh, and he also used to have a, a number of rings. He was a ring maker, uh, Dave Duke or Dave Doggett, as he's more commonly known in the scene. Uh, he gifted me a ring um, that I could use for as long as I needed. It wasn't the best ring in the world. It was made out of old bits of scrap metal, scaffolding bars. Boards used to move around like the sea, uh, collapsed once in, a, in Silverdale and Stoke-on-Trent during the show, which, which was interesting. Um, but we got around it somehow. Um, yeah, and of course, I mean, back then I didn't have the wrestler's wages in the bands, but you lying on the door. Somehow, we always managed to do it. Um, we always managed to make enough money on the night to pay all the wrestlers, pay their expenses, to pay the rent, uh, to pay the guy that was driving the van. And then slowly over time, we started having a bit of a surplus of money and it just became a bit easier. We ended up buying our own wrestling ring. Uh, we then decided, years later, we decided to open up our own training school, which brought in another revenue of money for us. So we were able to invest into things like a uh, steel cage for the ring, uh, which obviously then helped to um, improve our, our status locally. Uh, we could hold regular steel cage matches, which we did. Uh, sometimes too much, but we did. And it used to bring in the crowds. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a slow progression, but from the start, because I had so long to plan and prepare uh, for that first ever show, because that first ever show was a sold show where uh, a local community group paid me uh, to host the show. Uh, they paid me a set amount so that they would take the ticket money to raise money for their local charity or the cause, wherever it was. Uh, that made things a lot easier. But yeah, it's 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 not cheap to start up a wrestling promotion. It's not cheap at all. In the early days, who, which talents, wrestlers were you reliant on when you were building, building the promotion? You know, who, were your fo- who was the focal point in terms of you know, your storylines and your matches? That was going to be my next one. Well, I, I kind of leaned on um, an old school wrestler uh, called Texas Joe Sabaldi. Um, he used to run the uh, Preston Haven Sands, Preston uh, Haven sites. Uh, and I did quite a few shows for him. I used to do the booking for him for, for a year or so uh, for those shows. Um, so he, I knew he had a network of uh, younger wrestlers that wouldn't have necessarily been seen in North Wales before. The likes of uh, Tommy Gunn, um, who was well ahead of his time back then. Uh, the Hunter Brothers, who are still going to this day and still, in my personal opinion, one of the best tag teams, natural tag teams in Britain. Um, probably one of the only tag teams made up of two brothers where they haven't had this separation split up angle, um, which is nice to see. They're consistent. They're really, really good lads. 
Uh, I also used a lot of local talent that kind of, they did start training with Oryg, but didn't feel that they fit in with Oryg's locker room of the, of the old guard. Uh, Brad Matthews, who lasted a couple of years in wrestling, had promise, but now he went on to uh, MMA, and he did really, really well in MMA. Um, who else did I use? Oh, no, sorry, I'd use Texas Joseph Oldie, because he added that old-school element to the show. The Myatts, uh, Keith Myatt, um, and his son Ryan Myatt, who, again, they're both still on the scene. How Keith is still on the scene, I don't know. He's got to like 90 years old by now, surely. <laughs> uh, Keith and I have a, uh, a long, long relationship going back to my childhood. Uh, his family and my family were from the same part of Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah. Uh, his family and my family knew each other. Uh, some of them used to hang around together. And when I first got in with Oric Williams, uh, Keith was working for Oric shows on a regular basis. It was part of the tag team gimmick. I can't remember who it was at the time. But anyway, um, and he kind of, when he realised the Stoke connection, he kind of put me under his wing, showed me a few tricks. And Keith Meyer is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet and one of the most professional guys you'll ever meet. Uh, so I'm somebody like that looking out for me and taking me under his wing, showing me the ropes, to just, not just what in the ring, but about locker room etiquette as well. Um, that really, really helped me. Um, and so when I started my promotion, I thought it was only right that I want, well, not only just to return the favour because he was a great talent as well, and he still is, you know, for a guy that's been around as long as he has with the experience he's got, he's still a great talent to have on shows. But I thought I need to repay, repay that favour. So he was definitely a mainstay for the, on the early days of, of BWP. It's cool, man. It's cool. Obviously, you attracted some big names, international stars over the years. I, I probably can't remember all of them, but I remember seeing Sammy, Sammy Zayn, El Generico, uh, Jay Lethal. Who I've, had, I've actually met the two of them in the States, actually, but it's not about me. Um, who, else, who else did you have? Doug, Doug Williams, when I came to Doug the show. Doug Williams, yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, Sammy Zayn, I think it's like 2011, I think. He was the first ever one that we had. His first ever import. And at the time, he was working El Generico. Sorry to break kayfabe for those that didn't know. But, um, <laughs> and what a guy. He actually stayed in my house in Penneford. That's where I'm in Penneford now. I'm in my office in the pub. Uh, so literally just around the corner, he stayed in Penneford, which is always my uh, go-to story. Or does any young wrestling fans in talking about Sammy saying that, do you know that he's actually stayed in Penneford? Uh, but we've had Dougie Williams, you said. Great talent. Uh, David Richards. Uh, he was on with CJ Banks. Uh, what a match. That match is on YouTube, I believe, or it should still be on the Britannia YouTube. Check that one out. It's an amazing match. Uh, and we had the American... Davey came back a few years later as part of the American Wolves when they were TNA Tag Champions against the YOLO squad. And that was in Denby Town Hall. That, again, was a fantastic, fantastic match. Um, we've had uh, Rob Terry, yeah. uh, Robbie E. Uh, who else have we had? We've had loads. I mean... Either Raven, Raven Kane's do a training session at BWP once. Um, a load, just, just yeah, so many, so so many. You forget there's that we've literally had that many. It's crazy how many people we've had. I'd say probably my favourite one in terms of, and I hand you know, hat off. Most of them, nine out of ten of them, were genuinely, genuinely good people that would go out of their way to watch other people's matches, to give honest critiques and feedbacks. Uh, would stick around that little bit longer just to make sure that the fans got a few signatures when they were paid to do that and they were expected to do that. They were, most of them were generally, generally good blokes. But my favourite was Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal, mm-hmm. his match with uh, Dylan Roberts as part of the, I think it was the summer season finale. Um, it may have been the first or the second summer season, but it's on YouTube. Uh, what a match that was. It was absolutely immense. Dylan Roberts, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated 
an underutilised talent in Britain. Uh, a lot of it through his own personal choice because his personal life and his career. Uh, but the match he had with Jay Lethal, you could have put that on WWE, NXT, Ring of Honor, New Japan TV, any of those, and it would have stole the show. What an amazing, amazing talent that guy is. Uh, the lads of Abon obviously had drill on last year. Uh, loves Dylan. Said obviously, you know, he's got his day job, hasn't he? Loves his day job. Obviously, I've never spoke to Dylan. You know him very, very well. You're good pals. Why do you think he didn't go full time? Was it the love of being a paramedic? I think it was. And the yeah. fact that he's got a young family. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dylan Roberts, I'm not going to, I'll save that for it. You know, you definitely need to get Dylan Roberts on your podcast. I, I, I want to get him on. He's, he's on the list, mate, I tell you. Yeah, good. He's got some inter- interesting stories to tell. Um, but he's, he's, he's a national treasure, he's a national hero. Uh, he's fought in Afghanistan. He's, uh, he was on the front line for many years. Um, came back, started a young family at the same time as he was getting into the wrestling business. And then he worked as a care worker, worked in a factory, all at the same time, whilst studying to become a paramedic and being one of the best wrestlers in Britain. Uh, and now he is a full-time paramedic. He is literally one of our national uh, NHS heroes. Um, and he can still continues to give 100% of the wrestling. But I think if, WWE had offered him the contract, or any of the big companies had offered him the contracts. I genuinely think that he would not take it. Dylan and I have been good friends, best friends for a number of years now. Uh, he's like a brother to me. Um, and I know we've had this little thing at BWP where we're supposed to get into a match together, but uh, Dylan's a good, good person. Um, and he's always going to put his family and his career first. Um, and I think I don't think that'd be any difference, even if WWE came knocking. It's that age-old question that we all ponder, is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is, I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines, and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com, but I always get questions about various things I did through the years to propel my career to where it is today, as the world's most recognizable journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. It's a great read got great views and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too so the answer to is wrestling fixed you know it now i didn't know it was broken this is bill apter and i'll see you at the matches gtg often imitated but never duplicated you can a brawl at the shoulder narrow at the hip no other promotion give us any lip we're the best of the best the beast of the east sos simply out of sight G T G. When he said the times go to Which matches you've obviously touched upon Jay Lethal and Dylan. Which matches in BWP? I'm known there's been hundreds, maybe thousands of matches over the years. For your 12, 13 years, which were some of your favourite matches? So obviously I've already said the Jay Lethal Dylan yeah. Roberts. Again, as I touched upon before, the YOLO squad against the American Wolves, because what a contrast of of tag teams. You had the the youth uh, of the Yolo squad who were literally half the physical size of the American Wolves 
the American Wolves came in as the big TNA uh, television tag team champions and the Yolo squad were both local lads from North Wales wrestling in uh, Denby Town Hall in North Wales. And what a match that was. And the fact that the Wolves went out of their way unscripted at the end of the match and made a big speech about how the Yolo squad surprised them. They weren't expecting what they, they brought to the table. And now one day they hope to be having a return match but on TNA or some TV show. And I know that really affected the, the young lads. And obviously both the Yolo squad, uh, Drew Parker and Ethan Silver, both went on to do uh, their own individual things. Drew's over in Japan now. Uh, he's loving the, the deathmatch uh, scene. And Ethan Silver disappeared somewhere into the wilderness. Not quite sure what happened to him, but no doubt he's done something good in, in his wrestling career down the line. Uh, other great matches against CJ Banks, David Richards. A lot of imports here. It's not always imports to make the best matches, but no. uh, they're the ones that stand out immediately in my head. Yeah. Um, I've seen other great matches. Any match that involves uh, Zach Gibson, uh, Zach Gibson and Pitbull, Zach Gibson and Dylan Roberts, Zach Gibson and CJ Banks, and then CJ Banks. Any match with CJ Banks, CJ Banks and Dylan Roberts, uh, CJ Banks and Pitbull. Um, a lot of the same names here, but we did use the same core wrestlers, which were like your CJ Banks, your Zach Gibsons, Dylan Roberts, Babyface Pitbull, uh, Pyro. Uh, we used a, a lot of um, unknown names, if you like, that eventually became household BWP names. And as I said at the beginning of this interview, that was always one of our strengths, was that we would uh, not always, we would, we'd bring in the imports. We'd bring the imports in, of course, as and when needed and, and when we could afford to. Um, but it was always building, developing what we already had there. And that seemed to, when I look at the finances of the business, uh, particularly BWP, that was brought in our most money. It wasn't always the imports. It was the, when we were putting on, for example, the Alpha Gen. Uh, the Alpha Gen, which is like the new rookie division. Um, but they're not so much rookies these days. It's, you know, for the up-and-coming stars to have a full platform for them to go and perform on, not just the occasional match here or a dark match, um, or just working on the carnival outdoor shows where they get a full show with full matches, main events included, where these young raw talent come and showcase exactly what they're capable of. And those sort of shows and those sort of wrestlers have always proved financially viable uh, and more profitable for, the, for as a company. But personally, it was always, it was more fun. It was more fun to work with talent like that uh, than it is the established TV guys where you're literally paying over the odds for somebody that's established on TV Therefore, the fans that have come to watch that established TV talents know what their, their trademark moves are, what their sets are, and that's all they want to see. They want to see them hit their big moves just to get the pops, and that's it. It's, and that's great. That's, 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 that's great. Uh, but there's more satisfaction that comes from seeing a young Dougie Matthews or a, a young Jack Griffiths uh, that starts off where the fans first walk out and the fans are like, who's this kid? And then two or three shows down the line, they're coming with fan signs with, with those lads' names on it and they're cheering for them strong all night long. There's more personal satisfaction for me uh, to, to, to experience that. Do you think because they're, they're local to the crowd, the attachment, would you say uh, it's to do, to do with that, that you're making the sales, the ticket sales? Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, we've always been fortunate to have some good names come out of like, the North Wales region. So obviously that was always our, predominantly our area was North Wales. Uh, but then the younger talent or newer talents or lesser known talents that would come from Leeds, Manchester, Liverpool, Stoke-on-Trent, Birmingham, and they would still get just a good reaction. Because I think the audience or the North Wales audience or the Britannia audience, latch on, they see or sense straight away that this kid's got something here. 
So let's give him the benefit of doubt. Let's just roll. He may not be perfect. He may be making a screwing up from time to time. I mean, that, you know, that may be obvious because the fans are a lot smarter these days. They know what they're looking out for. But we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt because historically, Britannia have always done well with the young raw talents. Even guys like Drill, as you mentioned before, uh, when Drill came to me, he was a one-dimensional character that had only ever played one role for one company. And he came to me and we gave him one of the best storylines the BWP have ever done, The League of Violence, um, where he was one of the henchmen for a character called Danzig. Uh, and then from there, I could see the fans were latching on to Drill a little bit. And whilst nobody else could see this, I knew that he had face inside him. I knew he was a baby face, or he could be a baby face. And he, I think he even Drill doubted me a little bit, but we ran with it. And then he became one of the if not the popular babyface that we had for a number of years. And he, he built and he developed his own babyface persona and took that out to other promotions. And that's when he became Northern Bruiser, the heavyweight drill. Uh, Don Micho is another guy that only really worked for one, maybe two shows, including his own promotion, which is Future Shot Wrestling. Um, quite one-dimensional. And he came to us and we saw, we, we built on a character that he'd already begin to establish and we built it up and just took it in a slightly different direction. And from there, he became a, a, a catchweight champion in Britannia and one of the biggest heels that we've ever had. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's always fun working with these, these characters. And then, like with Drill in particular, when you see something in a character like Drill that they possibly can't see, you know, I'm not saying I'm always right or always wrong, but on this one instance, I was completely right because he got a whole number of years out of this this big over-the-top babyface character and a bloke that looks like he can literally rip your head off your shoulders. In terms, obviously, we've gone through talents, international talents, local talents. Which talents got away that you would have liked to book when you were promoting and owning? Who, who, who would you have liked to have booked? Okay, this is, um, this is more Michael Holland. So Mike Holland, uh, a.k.a. DJ King, will always remind everybody, whether they're listening or not, or care or not, he likes to tell the story, that before, no, before Generico, before Sami Zayn, we got offered Kevin Steen. And at the time, he was relatively affordable. I wouldn't say cheap, but affordable. And I, back then, wasn't really into the, the indie scene at all. I was WWE through and through. That was it. WWE, maybe a bit, maybe a little bit of WCW, maybe a little bit of TNA, and a little bit of um, what's the other one? WWE, TNA, uh, ECW. But ultimately, I was a hardcore WWE guy. I had no idea who Kevin Steen was, no idea. So I said no. Uh, and then when the idea of uh, El Generico came up, I actually showed a few video clips of him. I liked the mask. I liked the audience interaction. He wasn't the world's biggest guy. I kind of liked some of his moves he used to hit because he had some similar moves to what I used to be able to pull off in my younger days. So I was like, yeah, go on, we'll go with Generico. Uh, and then a couple of years later, if that, um, or whenever it was, Steen got hired by WWE and got rebranded as Kevin Owens. And then from that day, I was always reminded, and I still am reminded to this day, by Michael Holland, DJ King, of how much of a dick I was for not taking Kevin Steen when he was something <laughs> like two so that's the one that got away, I suppose. He's, he's a great guy. I've met him, met him a couple of times. Absolutely I brilliant. So. So I, and I, I, what I see him on TV, I, I've only grown to know him as an XDWB guy. What a character, what a wrestler, and what a character that guy is. 
I know belts. I know sometimes a character supersedes a belt, but I love I love him when he's got a belt around his waist, you know. And um, I think they've I think they've cocked up a couple of angles and stuff with him um, in more recent times. I know he's had Rollins. I know he's had Rollins and that, but uh, there's more to come. There's more to come with him, but I do prefer. I, I think I think they've got to do something with uh, Owens, or he will be one of these at least through frustration and, and heads elsewhere. I like the fact that he can flip from face to heel as well. That's yeah. the that's the ultimate accomplishment, isn't it? When you can do both. I know he has been compared quite a lot to Steve Austin, Stone Cold, and obviously he's using the stunner finish now as well. And just his general attitude and, and character is very Austin, you know, Austin-esque, if you like. Um, whilst having his own completely unique twist to it as well, he's not a rip-off of Austin. He can just be compared to being somewhat like Steve Austin. Um, and Austin was very much the same, wasn't he? You know, he was. He was an out-and-out heel, but people cheered him as a face. But he was still always a heel. You know, he was, he was always the, the baddest guy on the roster, but people just loved that. And I think that's what people like about uh, characters like Kevin Owens, where he's a tweener. He's one of those that can literally, he can be a face and do bad shit, or he can be a heel and still get the, the sympathy or the empathy vote from the, from the fans because of the respect elements. Now, I do, I do like Kevin Owens. Like I said, they've got to do something with him of significance very, very soon, or I can see that he is one of these guys that will go and take contracts elsewhere just for his own personal satisfaction. I think the rosters are too big, my personal opinion. There's too many, but and also I think there's too many hours of content there. I know they're stipulated by advertising revenue, though, with Raw and stuff. But I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that it should be there should be less hours and less talent. But that's just a personal opinion. Yours, yours might differ to mine. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually sit and watch... It's very rare I sit and watch WWE now. I mean, I've got, I'm subscribed to the WWE Network. Uh, I do keep a, an eye on the results on a, on a Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday mornings. I go on Facebook, check out the highlights, and if anything stands out, I'll, uh, I, will, I may sit and watch that match. I do watch certain pay-per-views, so I'll certainly watch the Rumble. That's my favourite pay-per-view. And I'll certainly watch Mania and SummerSlam. I think maybe because they're the ones I used to watch as a child, they're the only ones available. And now and then, don't get me wrong, if this is a big standout match that I really want to, or I'm intrigued in or interested in, I'll make time to sit and watch that as well. Um, but I, I, I do know what you mean. They've got WWE Raw, they've got SmackDown, they've got NXT, they've disbanded 205 Live, I believe. So some of their guys have moved over to Raw, yeah. SmackDown or NXT. Uh, they've integrated the 205 title into NXT, for this, now with the Cruiserweight title. Um, they've got a lot a lot of great talent and the problem is it's okay having a lot of talent but when you've got so many great talents not everybody can be on top and not everybody can be involved in a, in a top storyline because then your shows become too storyline driven and not enough action it's about finding that compromise me personally what I thought they were going to do after they had the was it the women's was it evolution or revolution people Ev- evolution uh, I thought after that they would have a female-only brand, which would allow more time and more space for the for the males males on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Um, but it'd also mean that the female um, workers on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT won't be quite as, as watered down because they all seem to struggle to fill the thirty-woman Rumble every year. That's why they have to bring back so many old-school wrestlers to do that or a couple of new faces that are put in the Rumble, and then you might not see them for a few uh, months after that until they're ready to go to NXT or Raw or SmackDown. Well, if they're struggling to fill a Rumble, how are they going to really give a strong sense of the women's movements on three watered-down brands? 
when they have so many male talent, top male talents on all three brands, that their focus isn't necessarily on the males, but on when it comes to numbers and you've got more males than females, naturally males are going to get more TV time, which again holds the females back. I think that they're in such a position now where they can actually have their own female weekly TV sh uh, show. That's cool. Uh, just going, standing about the women's matches and stuff, did you see this year's WrestleMania? I did. A boneyard match, fantastic, incredible, perfect for Taker to bow out, but is he, yeah. has he bowed out? I'm still sceptical. However, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte was my match of the two nights. I thought it was so well done. It was the best, yeah, it was the best well. match for me, hands down. Um, and yeah. it, it was in amongst some great matches. But what was your thoughts on, on WrestleMania? I know it's like four months I, ago now. I enjoyed it. It was a bit different. Well, it was a lot of different. Let's be honest, it was a lot of different. But I thought they did really well with it. I thought the, the Boneyard match, I know there's mixed reviews on that. But I think ultimately it's more positive. I think a great way to send out a legend. If he has gone. If he has gone, mm -hmm. what a way to go. If he hasn't gone, what a way for him to, be re to revive yet another side of his character. Uh, ready for one last match. Would they have hinted at The Undertaker being present during the ladder match when they had to go to Titan Towers and AJ opened the door and it was the, 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 wherever it was, the urn or whatever it was that was in there? Would they have done that if The Undertaker was really gone or will there be the last WrestleMania match with AJ Styles uh, where Undertaker now has had over 12 months or will have had over 12 months uh, from the time he filmed the Boneyard match before WrestleMania up until next WrestleMania for him to get into peak shape. We saw through the documentary that he did um, that with a little bit of time, or a lot of time, uh, and patience and hard work, he can get himself into ring shape for one match, for one decent match. So given over 12 months, with the, the high that he must have coming off the Boneyard match and off the back of that documentary as well, and all these public appearances now making as Mark Calloway, this must be giving him a bit of a buzz. I think they may be gearing up to one last WrestleMania match next year of AJ Styles, and then he'll bow out. Because I also think Undertaker's been very open in the past about the Montreal Screwjob and how he disagreed with the way it went down, but Brett had a job to do. And you, when you're leaving a company, you always do the job. You always do the job for the next person in line. Now, AJ's not a young pup, but God, can he still go. And he's got as many years in him as his body allows him to have. I think if the Undertaker's going to go, he's going to insist on going, having put over somebody like AJ Styles. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Undertaker would go out on his own accord on top, unless it was somebody like Vince or Trips insisted that he went out. But I don't think he'd allow that to happen. So I think he's got one more left in him. But, you know, but also, uh, back to WrestleMania. WrestleMania, I thought, yeah, it was different. It wasn't the same. Of course it wasn't. But they did the best and probably made a massive financial loss in the process as well. Uh, but the other thing I liked is how they finished one night at the Boneyard and they finished the, the other night with the, uh, the five fly house. How messed up was that? But it was, <laughs> it was completely unique. Yeah. Never like that before. Probably won't see anything quite that wacky again. But it was really... And I, sat, I admit, I sat and watched the boat. I watched WrestleMania once. I've sat and watched the Boneyard match twice and I've watched the Firefly fly house match twice as well. That's how good I thought they were. Who would you tip within WWE to be a future champion, to be the top top dog maybe in the next, I don't know, two or three years? 
who, who do you like to watch with? I know you don't watch it all the time. Yeah, but... I don't watch it all the time, but I do, I do try and stay up to date without, you know, without watching it. I simply don't have the time to watch it. I suppose it goes back to the, there's too many WWE hours on yeah. the week. Yeah. Real life takes over. Um, from the guys that I've seen, I would think I'd like to see Kevin Owens, yeah. I'd like to see, Kev I reckon Kevin Owens could have a real good run there. Um, I think there's other characters that will be long-term characters like uh, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, or the variations of that. I like very much the way they're going where it's a bit like McFoley, where which which version of Bray Wyatt we're getting this week, and every version's a completely different version to the to the to the other. Uh, I like that. I think that's got legs for many many years, uh, and not necessarily something that needs to be in the title run either. Um, I think Seth Rollins is. Uh, I like how he's changed his character. Um, obviously, he's a very very strong in ring wrestler anyway, but. Uh, uh, and I'm trying to forget, I forget the name of the guy. He's one of the members of the Street Profits. It's um, not Dawkins, and I can't, it's, it's gone. It's oh, the no, no. I know what you mean, no. though. It's, it's yeah, you know what I mean. Bianca Belair's uh, husband. I can't I think of it. Bits and bobs of him backstage. Great on the stick. I've seen him in the ring. Montez, Montez Ford, sack. sorry, I jumped in. Montez yes. Ford, got it. It's gone. It's come in. I think he has got super, superstar written all over him. I don't know what it is about him. I just, from the bits and bobs I've seen him in ring and backstage, he's an all-round entertainer and, entertainer and athlete. I think he's fantastic. Uh, Female-wise, um, which is nice to actually say here now, I think, um, Steph, Nixon Newell, as I know her. Yeah. Uh, she has had so much bad luck uh, before getting into WWE during the, the process of getting into WWE and whilst in WWE or NXT. She has so much bad luck physically, but I know her personally. She is a, an amazing, wonderful person, uh, a real, real good person, and she works her arse off. She always asked them from day one, she works her arse off. She had one of her first outdoor, it's actually, it, it may be her first outside booking from a train school with uh, Britannia Wrestling a number of years ago. Um, and I know now she's really smashing it up on NXT. Mm -hmm. Her name just seems dropping up everywhere and I, I, I think she deserves it and I think she's going to actually be the top female face in the company and another Brit as well uh, again with another BWP connection uh, Zach Gibson now I know he's part of the tag team the Grizzly Jr. Veterans and James Drake is another great wrestler but there's something about Zach and I think he was just getting into the NXT stage as well before this uh, lockdown yeah. so he's on you know he's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment but I hope they bring him back I think they will. They'd be daft not to. Uh, and when he gets back, if he is allowed free reign, as some of the NXT guys seem to be allowed, NXT are in for a treat with Zach Gibson. And I think he's got world champion written all over him. The Americans make me laugh, though, you know, because I'm like, have you, have you seen the Grizzled Young Vets? I don't know how much NXT they actually watch. I said, you said they'd be known, especially on the domestic circuit, Europe. They're, they're still like unaware of him, but they've had, they've had yeah. some exposure. They've had some exposure yeah, sacks. The Yanks need to, you know, take note. Like, and, and be, when, they, when it all comes back to normal, I think, as you say, but him on his own, as you say, I think absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's, so, I mean, he's been, I think Zach started working for me about, I want to say two, late 2009, I think it was, it was like September 2009, he started working for me. And at the time, he was a skinny kid with long surfer hair, um, with baggy, pleather, yellow pants. Um, 
but even then, when you could see there was nothing of him physically, nothing at all, you could see that he was a very talented and driven, a very young, driven human being. And then over the years, he started bulking himself up, started getting out there to different training schools, different promotions, travelling abroad, getting as much experience as he possibly can. Uh, and he was also very humble about it, never an ego. Um, and he always believed... And he had, again, I won't go into too much detail. You want to try and get Zach on the, on the, on the podcast. He always believed, even after he had so many knockbacks from WWE uh, trials, and it was always, you're this close, just go and do this, then come back. And he'd go and do it, come back. And he'd go, oh, you're this close now, just go and do this. And he stuck with it, stuck with it. And then he finally got his dream contract and became WWE NXT UK Tag Team Champions. And now he's, hopefully, still employed by WWE NXT over in the States and Nobody deserves it more than Matt Lab does. Very wanna, proud of him. I want to go back to you, actually. We're going to go back in time. I know I was going to do it chronological. How, how was it promoting and being, you're obviously full-time wrestling at that point. You weren't semi-retired. How was it balancing the two? Just to go back to you, because the episode's about you, predominantly. It didn't balance at all. That's, that's why I stopped doing it. Um, I tried for a while. Um, and I enjoyed it. But then it was getting to the stage where the shows were getting bigger, the storylines were running longer, uh, the fans were getting more involved. And I always remember going back to Denver Town Hall and I had a match, I believe that it was a show where I was picking up the catchweight uh, strap against Dean McManus, so it may have been the other way around, whatever. There was a strap involved in a singles match with me and Dean McManus, Dean Mac, Dean McManus. And he was trying to grab me all night, sacks, two minutes for me to sort this out, sacks. I was like, yeah, yeah, two minutes ago, I'll sort this out. I need to go sort out the lights, I need to sort out the audio or whatever. And he grabbed me again, 20 minutes later, sacks, please, we need to sort the match on. We're on in half an hour. I'm like, yeah, yeah, look, I'll do it for two minutes. I'm just going to go sort this out and I'll sort that out. And it just got to the point where a minute before the match, I was like, right, look, we'll start like this, run like this, so we'll have to just call it out there. And we did. And... I prefer working on the fly. I prefer court agreeing how we're starting a match at ending a match and we'll, we'll read the audience while we're out there and we'll just call it on the fly. I like working that way, but Dean at this time was in his early tw- very early 20s. He couldn't fresh out the training school and he, he wasn't used to working like that. So the match was okay, but it could have been a lot better. And it's then at the end of the match when I shook hands with Dean, very nice, humble guy, good friend of mine, um, but I could see the disappointments on his face because it mattered to him more about his match than it did to me at that stage in my life and my career. And it was then I, I made the conscious decision that I was going to step away from the wrestling side so I could focus more on the promoting. But also, it wasn't fair on the wrestlers that I was booking myself with because I was holding them back because I was focusing too much of my time and attention on the actual show. So, yeah, I think it was around about 2013, 14, maybe, that I, I stepped away and said, well, that's me done then obviously I've dipped my toe back in the water every now and then yeah. since then it always seems to be death matches for some reason I've just get dragged into these stupid ass death matches where my last one was coming up to four years ago against Danzig in Denby Town Hall and I'm still getting over that now I've still got a dodgy knee from that are you are you a fan of extreme yes you are a fan oh, right, okay okay I, I, thought, I thought you were I, like a straight wrestling match you know no well, like, it depends on the circumstances I yeah. I, I the extreme because I think anybody that was a, a fan during the mid to late 90s when it was the Attitude Era I wasn't really into ECW I thought that was just I thought that was extreme for the sake of extreme whereas WWE was extreme but it was it was in context it was relative to the storyline and the individuals pulling off the extreme measures um, 
I am a fan of TNT, uh, yeah, TNT wrestling. Uh, Jay Apt's uh, show over the Liverpool. I'm a big fan of that. Um, because it's, it's niche. It's quite unique uh, for this country to have something like that. It's nice for when I go from, or when I did go from watching Britannia shows or Pro Wrestling PU shows or uh, Wrestle Island shows, whatever shows I used to go and see or watch online, to then go and sit in an all-adult environment and watch some of my good friends kick seven shades of shit out of each other whilst I can enjoy a beer as well. I think that's, fun. I think that's fantastic. I think it's absolutely amazing. So I think Extreme, I'm a big fan of, as long as it's within context. Starting bell rings and then two guys just knock crap out of each other with steel chairs for five minutes. There's nothing enjoyable about that. But if there's a slow build in a match or a storyline where it's gradually building and building to get more and more intense to the point where the only other place you can go is extreme, is to go hardcore. That's when I'm like, yes, this makes sense. This is what wrestling's all about. It can fit within wrestling. It does fit within wrestling, but sometimes it gets abused within wrestling as well. And I think Jay Apt is, at first, not as much. Uh, it was it's extreme for the sake of being extreme. Uh, but over the last few years, Jay's really found his, uh, found his feet uh, within his own market, his very niche market, where he's now able to offer character development, storylines, something for the family, but with extreme when it needs to be extreme. I was uh, in attendance for Drew Parker versus BT Gun <laughs> for the extreme title. And Drew did a dive off the balcony. And um, yeah, it was it was crazy, man. It was crazy. But yeah, I like I like normal matches with a bit with a bit of extreme, but not too much myself. But yeah, personal yeah, I mean, preference. It, 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 you know, define extreme. Yeah, um, yeah. Extreme does not have to be involved. Uh, tables, ladders, chairs, glass tubes, uh, drawing pins. Sometimes extreme extreme can just literally be where you got two proper brawlers, proper fighters that are literally just knocking their living crap out of each other. And sometimes that can be far more extreme than whacking somebody over the head with a steel chair or a light tube. Context. I want to go back into, we touched upon it, the Alpha Gen. How proud are you? Obviously, there's a lot, a lot of lads from North Wales, lads in Northwest of England as well. I just find it, every character is different. They're diverse. They've got their own style. How gratifying is it seeing you know the response to the alpha gen and most notably the performers in it and you know how proud of, how proud of them are you i'm very proud of every single one of them because although we as a company took a, a chance in them they took a chance on us as well they invested their time and attention to becoming the first alphas of the alpha gen uh, and they were tagged with that name and uh, so if the alpha gen had gone wrong that could have gone a little bit you know wrong for them as well Fortunately, it didn't, because just over 12 months ago now, we had a first ever Alpha Gen uh, eight-man tournament to crown the, the first ever champion. That ended up being uh, Jack Griffiths. What a show. Of my, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows at BWP that have put on over the years, that was probably one of my top five. And it was a bunch of unknown kids, kids, uh, eight unknown kids over three rounds, on one evening, and they actually smashed it out of the park. And then every show after that, they got better and better. The crowds got bigger and bigger. The confidence grew. Um, and it was, it was really humbling and satisfying to, 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 to see that, to witness that. To be backstage, going from a locker room full of um, modern-day old guard, I suppose, mixed with some imports, the difference between that locker room to a, a locker room full of lads and, and females, 
uh, that they were hungry for it. And they saw this as a golden opportunity to not just get on the show, but to own a show, to have a show named after them, after their division. The likes, like I said, Jack Griffiths, uh, Mike Douglas, uh, Dougie Matthews, uh, the Pirate French, Joey Marcus, Chase Alexander, uh, JJ Webb, Big Joe Bolton. And so, I know I've missed a load off there, but there's so many of them. And everyone comes in and they give 100%. And they, 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 it's just the way they look at you and they're, they're listening to you and they're like sponges and they're taking every bit of information. And you can see them kind of nodding in, in, in agreement with you. And then you can see the cogs going in the head and it's like, right, go, now go and sort your stuff out. And you can see, right, go. And they come back and when you see them, what they're delivering in the ring, you can see that they've paid attention to what you've been suggesting, what you've been advising. No, we didn't really tell them to do anything. That, that goes against the ethos of, uh, of the um, Alpha Gen. Wasn't that we were going to tell you what to do. We're going to give you a, a ground, a proving ground for you to go out there, a platform, a venue, a live uh, audience, and a lot of marketing uh, behind you, a machine that's already established. We're going to pull that behind you. The rest is now down to you. You'll either fail or you'll succeed. And every one of them took that on the chin and went out there and made sure that they didn't fail. I'm not saying every one of them succeeded, but not a single one of them have failed. And it says it's, I am very, very, that's, that's probably, it, within wrestling, that's probably my greatest achievements is the Alpha Gen. And that's one that I was very, very proud to hand over to the new owners of the Tanya Wrestling Promotion. I just hope that they, they do well by it. Which I'm sure they will. I'm confident that they will. Alex Ferguson did it with kids at Man United. <laughs> so if you're going to attribute to a wrestling thing, that's what I would say anyway, Mike. That was yeah, my I guess that, so, yeah. that was my analogy. Right. <laughs> this segment is Sax's Tips. That's what the title is. Subtitle, okay. subheading. And it's just like, what advice would you give to a young person, Joe Blog say, and they, they're starting training as a wrestler? That's my first question to you for Sax's tips. Okay. Do your homework. Uh, we're, which I'm not going to get into too much, but with recent goings on within the British wrestling industry, there's been a lot of changes and there will be a lot of changes to the training schools, the way they run, the way that they conducted. Uh, and there's a lot of training schools out there. Um, do, your, do your research. If you've got a training school five minutes down the road, that's only five pounds to go and train, but there's, no, there's nothing in place for safeguarding uh, there's no real trainers or professionals working for that one. But you can go 20 miles away and spend £10, go 20 miles away. If it means you're getting a safe working environment, trained by professionals that have, have experience and knowledge of our industry and how our industry works and, all, and, you know, and has contacts within the industry to progress you even further, it's worth spending the extra time and money going to be trained by professionals. In North Wales alone, I know three training schools uh, two of them are reputable ones one not so much um, if you were off the if you were living over in Anglesey for say sure you could travel a couple of miles and get to this training school relatively quick or you could spend an extra hour an extra tenner and go and be trained over in Rilt at the North Wales Wrestling Dojo or Connors Key at the Basics Wrestling uh, School it's going to cost you more but you're going to get much more out of it and you're going to be safer. That's the key thing in wrestling, is to be safe always. So yeah, do your research, do your history, ask around. Social media is there for a reason. It's good and bad, but there's things like this. You put a question like that, where's the best place to train in, whatever area you're from, on one of the local wrestling forums, you'll get good, honest feedback from there. So yeah, for your own sakes, 
put some research into it. Question two. Said person wants to set up a wrestling company. Tips being an owner and a promoter. That's the second part. Okay. Um, the UK is a big place, you know, for us. It's a big place. There's a lot of wrestling promotions about, but there are also a lot of places that haven't got wrestling communities or wrestling uh, promotions or venues. If you're going to do it, look around. Don't tread on toes. Not like I did. Now, it worked out for me, but this is going back 13 years ago when there were nowhere near the amount of wrestling promotions, nowhere near the amount of wrestling schools around as there are today. Don't tread on toes. Um, be respectful. If you're going to, if you are going to, if you, let's say, you live in Stoke-on-Trent, where I was born, if you live in Stoke-on-Trent and you know that there's another promotion that runs one part of Stoke, there's another promotion that runs the other part of Stoke. Stoke's a big old place. Speak to those promoters. Let them know of your intentions. Be an open book. Do, again, do your research. Don't tread on toes. Don't piss people off before you even ring that first bell. Uh, and do a bit of research into it as well because it's not as easy as just getting a ring, getting a venue and putting on the show. You've got insurance to pay for. You need to be booking talent that you can trust that are not going to rip you off. They're going to put on a good show. They're going to make sure that you are safeguarded, that your fans are safeguarded. There's a lot to look into. Um... But I implore anybody, anybody, no, this, my opinion's changed over the years. And I, I'll say this on an open forum because I've had the conversation privately and publicly uh, about this person. But Pete Blacken from Wrestle Island, when, he, when I first saw him and saw that he was running a wrestling show and naming a wrestling show after his favourite TV show, Lost, which just happens to be my favourite TV show too. And the whole Wrestle Island thing was, was a reference to the whole Lost storyline and theme. And he'd never done a day's training. He was a wrestling fan and he wanted to run a show in Birkenhead, which wasn't that far away from North Wales. I scoffed at that and I scoffed at him. And he was just another mark with all the gear and no idea. That's what I thought. And as time went on, I have openly said, and I privately said, and I'll say once again, that I was wrong. I was wrong about Pete. I was on, wrong about his intentions for getting into the wrestling business. And he has got one of the most family-friendly shows in the Northwest, if not the whole of the UK now. And it's something that he's very proud of and he should be very proud of. And I'm kind of proud of him for doing that uh, and for proving me wrong. So everybody deserves a chance. The beauty of wrestling is, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter what size, what your athletic ability is like, doesn't matter what your background, your education is like, none of that matters. Wrestling has an opportunity and a place for everybody. And don't let anybody hold you back. If I'd listened to the likes of the All-Stars, uh, if I'd listened to the likes of Oddie Williams in the first hour of our conversation, I wouldn't be here now. If you want to do it, find a way, do your research, be respectful, don't tread on toes, but for God's sake, try, because you will regret it for the rest of your life if you do not try. Sound advice. Sound advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Sax's tips, little, little segment there. Right. Just to submit a bit current... Seeing that you put out that the Isaac Wrestling Podcast is returning, yes. So give us give us the scoop, man. Give us the scoop. Give us some information oh. about the return, if you if you will. Have you listened to any of my podcasts, Stewie? Yeah, over over the years, I have. Yeah, uh, with uh, said said promoter, Five Star Wrestling, which I knew from afar was never going to work, but you yeah, did brilliant. Yeah. You did super over that. Uh, yeah, so the Isaacs podcast is one that is a little bit different from other wrestling podcasts, particularly British wrestling podcasts. 
because I approach the topics that other people kind of shy away from, or most people shy away from, um, and for understandable reasons. Um, very wise man once said, controversy creates cash. Now, I'm not in this necessarily just to make cash. I'm in this because I find it so hard to step away from the wrestling business. Uh, and I enjoy doing I enjoy doing the podcast. Um, and now that I've stepped away from promoting, I've now got a bit more time to actually focus on doing the podcast side. Um, my po- podcasts are a little bit controversial. I ask the questions that nobody else wants to ask. And if I don't get the answer, I will push and I'll push and I'll push until the point where, much like the five-star uh, wrestling interview that I did with Daniel Hinkle, uh, I push until the point where they snap and they get too honest with me. And they tend to regret that after. But then there's a little bit more transparency and honesty in the world of British wrestling, which I think now more than ever, we need. We need more transparency. We need more honesty. There's still people within our little business, our little world of British wrestling that are still here that shouldn't be here. There's still a few buttons in the net that we're going to have to shake out, and I fully intend to find out who those buttons are. Uh, but that's just one side of it. There's also people that I want to ask, have genuine people that I'm interested in, like going back to Keith Myatt, um, CJ Banks, uh, Marty Jones, Johnny Saints. These are just some of the names that I've got lined up for future episodes. Uh, people that have still got stories to tell for different reasons and different areas of British wrestling. So yeah, I want to bring you back. Keeps me busy. I hate not having things to do. Hate it. Uh, yes, I've got a very busy professional life. I've got a busy family, busy family life. I've got a busy social life. But I can't quite give up the wrestling life. Not just yet. So... I've got a few other projects which you will start hearing about in the coming weeks. Um, interesting um, things I've got coming off, little projects. Uh, but the ice axe is what I'm throwing myself into for now. And I've also got a new co-anchor as well. Um, so it's not just going to be my voice you're going to be hearing, and my guest voice you're going to be hearing somebody else. Uh, but I'm going to keep that bit kayfabe just for now. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely fine. Respect, respect that, respect that answer. What about sacks at the sink, though? Because that was very, very good, you know. And you know what? The amount of people, and not just in the wrestling world, locals in my pub that say, when you bring back sacks at the sink, it starts off when I was a single parent with three kids and my little girl was just starting going into a play group three hours a day. I had three hours to myself and literally all I had to do was clean up. So I thought I'd give this Facebook Live gimmick a go. It was new back then, didn't really know what it was about, but I'd give it a go and I'd just literally be washing the dishes whilst I'm answering questions and having a bit of banter with whoever was online. And then it became requested. And so I'll get to the point where nearly every time I turn the tap on to wash the uh, dishes, it got to the point where I'd save dishes to wash based on the length of the uh, sacks in the sink live feed that I was going to do. I'd actually stockpile dishes, so I had enough to wash whilst I was doing the uh, live feed. And then the problem came that just over two years ago, I moved into a bigger house. Um... And we got a dishwasher for the first time. So I've got no dishes to wash anymore. So that was the end of the sacks at the sink. So that's where the Ice Sacks podcast is going to pick up. Picking what, up after sacks. What what what, sorry, I cut in then. What was the most views you had on that? What, what totaled the most when you were doing them? Can you remember? On me. Yeah, yeah. It was something absolutely ridiculous. It was like, I don't know, eight, nine hundred. Literally. <laughs> what man in Penneford, North Wales, stood washing his dirty cups and plates whilst talking about what happened on the previous night's roar or whatever or uh, insane I think if you I had... did it because I, I, I had nothing to do in that time 
but clearly a lot of people had too much time on their hands because they would sit and watch and ask for sacks at the sink to take place. I wonder if you put it across, like you did it through StreamYard, say, and it was uh, on Twitch and you had it across more platforms. I wonder how many views you would have got there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's one for the future. Right, my last question now. In relation to a dream card, but I just want you to pick like, um, I'm just trying to think with BWP. You had the BWP title, didn't you? Yep. Uh, Champion of Wales and the tag belts. Just like those three matches, dream card. You can pick pick whoever you like. With the tag titles. uh, I'm going to stick with British talents. Um, uh, I would say I would love to see the Grizzled Young Veterans. Uh, versus you know what the dogs of war uh, the baby faced pitbull and Dave Faulkner has been forever forever but yeah. he's a legit oh, man. oh and congratulations uh, pitbull became a daddy for the yeah. first time great uh, news Austin um, but pitbull and Faulkner Faulkner ex-UFC uh, both obviously MMA fighters they look the part they act the part they stand the part the grizzled young veterans, uh, they do exactly what they say. Uh, they're grizzled, they're young, they're veterans. So I think GYB versus the, um, the Dogs of War would be an amazing match. So that's what I do for the catchweight, uh, sorry, the PWI tag titles, the catchweight championship, Jack Griffiths and Matt Fox. A proper old school Matt wrestling match, uh, grappling match that could also add a little bit of flair in there as well. And hard hitting. I know both of those boys like to, they don't like to see daylight between their punches. Uh, so I, I definitely love the uh, championship of Wales. Uh, the, uh, the catchweight title, uh, definitely the best in Britain, in my opinion. Uh, Dylan Roberts against Will Ospreay. I think that match would be the match of the year in any promotion, in any company in Britain. Will Ospreay and Dylan Roberts. That's your, that's your dream card then? You're my dream card. All Brits. Yeah, that sounds right. Sax, hit us up with the socials where the people, the listeners, the viewers, everyone can find you. All your handles. If, if you know your handles, sometimes people don't. Won't say that. Trust me. On Facebook, it's Steve Saxon. Uh, on Twitter, it's at in Sax We Trust. Uh, and that's it for now. I'm in, just in the process of setting up a new YouTube account, which will be for the ISACS podcast, where all the old episodes of the podcast will be uploaded for free to YouTube. Uh, moving forward of all ISACS uh, podcast episodes, they will also be streamed completely free on YouTube, uh, as well as platforms like iTunes and Spreaker. Uh, but YouTube's going to be the main focal point of it all. So keep an eye on my Twitter handle and my Facebook account. Uh, for all updates about the ISAX podcast, which will be uh, the first, the the first relaunch episode will be going live within the next two weeks maximum. Okay, my guest on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today, former owner promoter of BWP Britannia Wrestling Promotions, ambassador for Pro Wrestling International. Have I got it? That's it. Right. I Sax Wrestling Podcast, the host of that, and the publican manager of the Red Line in Penaforth. There we go. I thought I'd just get them all in to close out, mate. <laughs> Thanks for coming on today, Shoes Awesome Podcast. Thank you very much. No.
been great. Thanks for having me, man. Big thank you to 3210 for their track, Sona, in the intro and the outro for today's show. Cheers, boys, for letting me use it. Big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro, as always. Superb, superb. Chris Dutton, thank you very much for editing once again. Appreciate it, buddy. And also to Lee, who does my website. Lee puts the stuff up on the website. Without you guys, I'd be screwed. So once again, as always, appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me. It means a lot, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.